Hey everyone, how are you doing? I'm Wendy Myers of MyersDetox.com. I have a great show today with my friend, Jason Goldberg. I met him about seven years ago at an event on how to be a better public speaker so I could you know, communicate better with you guys. And uh, it was a great event and I uh, made a lot of good friends out of that, including Jason. And I wanted him to come, out, come on the show to talk about his book, Prison Break, and how to kind of lead yourself, uh, how to kind of change your mindset, how to get what you want out of life. And a really interesting show today. So Jason, he's so motivational and inspirational. He's so funny. This is such a good show. So if you're kind of feeling like stuck, if you feel like you're, you're, you're having depression, you're just kind of feeling like you have this inertia that you just can't really break out of. And you're not really trying to like, you know, transform your life, you know, change your relationship or your job or what have you. Jason has a lot of really, really good tips on how to create that change that you want in your life. And it's kind of counterintuitive to a lot of the narratives out there. And also you guys, if you are also looking for, for transformation or you're concerned about you know, emotional trauma or your emotions are really holding you back. I've created a new program called the Emotional Detox Program. It's coming out soon. And you can learn more about that at emo-detox.com. And I know so many of you guys struggle uh, with, you know, like you're struggling with your health or you you feel like you're healthy, but you just wake up kind of feeling gray and blah. You just you can't really access like that joy that you, you know, you maybe you seek in your life. And this is me for many, many years. So I've done a lot of searching, a lot of research uh, into the, all the current PubMed, all the current research out there on how do you overcome emotional trauma? How do you, uh, how do you be happy? How do you wake up and feel really good every day? Uh, so I uh, delved into the research and found that sound therapy, uh, bioenergetics, um, was uh, using like biofield tuning forks are ways to kind of access those emotional traumas that are in your energy field and vibrate that frequency out of, of your energy field and release it forever. And this is in the conventional research done by conventional medical doctors, uh, namely Dr. Carlos Ventura. So a lot of incredible research in the emotional detox program. So check it out at emo-detox.com. So our guest today, Jason Goldberg, is a mindset mentor and a leadership coach for celebrities, changemakers, and CEOs. He's also the host of the, the Jason Goldberg is Ruining Podcasting podcast. He's also the author of the number one international bestseller on leadership entitled Prison Break. And he's the creator of the Playful Prosperity and Competition-Proof Business Immersion Programs. Jason's been featured on media outlets, including ABC, CBS, and Fox, as well as teaching on the Mind Valley and Soul Pancake platforms. He's also founded multiple startups, including one partnership with NASA and the Spatial Program. So he now focuses on blending his signature mix of simple and transformational wisdom, captivating storytelling, practical business mentorship, and belly-busting humor to make personal growth less personal growthy and to leave everyone he meets with at least 5% more joy than when he found them. Uh, he's also a sought after inter international speaker and host. Jason has shared the stage with some of the world's greatest thought leaders and innovators uh, in human potential and performance, including Jason Silva, uh, Dr. Sean Stevenson, uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote The Four Agreements, uh, Lishan Bicchiani, who's the CEO of Mind Valley, Stephen Cutler, Stealing Fire. Uh, Marissa Pierre, who's a UK psychotherapist of the stars and so many others. 
uh, that he hopes will impress you uh, if you if these other ones don't. Uh, you can learn more about Jason and his incredible work at thejasongoldberg.com. Jason, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I just stumbled into a random Zoom room and there you were. So I figured yeah. we may as well have a conversation. Why not? <laughs> yeah, well, we'll just do a podcast while we're here. <laughs> yeah, and so I met you at a, one of Sean Stevenson's events he, like, on how to be a better speaker. And he's an amazing, yeah. amazing person who passed on, sadly, uh, last year. But uh, tell, tell us a little bit about like why you were there at that public speaking event. I want to talk about your new book and I want to talk about a lot of stuff because you're a very very inspirational person, very happy person. And this is going to be a really Thank fun you. show. Well, the inspiration is accidental. So if, if you, if you got some of that, that's, uh, that was a total accident. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I was at Sean's event. Sean was a dear friend of mine and, uh, and I was at the event just to continue my storytelling abilities to continue to grow my storytelling abilities. And he was such an amazing storyteller. One of the greatest storytellers that I've personally ever known for sure. And, and even of storytellers that I don't know personally, he's still one of the best. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's what I was there for was just to kind of increase my, my storytelling abilities. What, what brought you there, by the way, I'm curious now that you asked me now, I'm curious about you. Yeah. You know, I want to learn to be a better speaker as well. Like, you know, I, I want, I, I see really inspirational speakers doing like, you know, Ted talks and other things. And there's just, and that's, it's a learned skill for a lot of people. And so I just want to learn how to be a better speaker. So that's why I was yeah. there. It's always, I mean, it's always a good thing to learn storytelling and speaking and everything else, because it's, you know, it, it can be used in every area of your life. It's not just a business thing. And it's not just if you want to be on stages and do TED Talks, it's, it's a matter of just being able to communicate effectively with people in your world. And, and so I think it's, I think everybody could benefit from it. It's like everybody can benefit from therapy. Everybody can also benefit from learning how to be a better speaker. Yeah, exactly. Everyone needs therapy for sure. Everybody needs therapy. <laughs> they need to become an expert in their neuroses, uh, I think. Of course, hundred <laughs> percent. And, and, and that's always a difficulty too, though. And this is, I think, one of the, the, the distinctions between therapy and coaching. And a lot of people will talk about, you know, oh, therapists look backwards and coaches look forward. I don't know that it's as simple as that. I think they both can do both. But one of the things that, that I've noticed personally that's been more helpful for me, and, and I, I get a lot of benefit out of, out of therapy as well, but depending on the therapist, sometimes the way we see the world or, or, or the, the way that we navigate our, our lives somehow becomes a pathology. Everything becomes a pathology. And it's, and it's all like a disease that we need to fix. And, and it just makes the entire process of transformation in, in my personal experience, more serious and more heavy than it needs to be. There's already enough heavy, serious stuff going on. Why should, why should we uh, uh, evoke more suffering than whatever's already available to us every day? And so I think that's a good thing to look at too, is just you know anything that we may be struggling with to look at it as a description of what's happening and not a diagnosis of what's happening. Yeah. And talk about that. So you talk about this in your book, Prison Break, about a transformation. And so that's what I think so many people are looking for is transformation. They want to improve their life in some way. And, and so where does someone start uh, when they're, they're trying to maybe change careers or change their relationship or what have you? Like, where does someone begin? Well, I mean, for me, it, it was it was really just a, well, for me, I could hit over the head with a two by four metaphorically, although getting hit with an actual one maybe would have made the process <laughs> even faster. Uh, but but the there there has to be a a willingness to change, uh, and there has to be a belief that change is possible, right? So if you if you want things to change but you have no willingness to do any of the work, or if you don't believe it's possible, you don't believe you deserve a different experience of life, or that that's just not available to you, or whatever it is. If either of those things are are present or missing, respectively, um, then it's going to be very hard to to change anything. But if you can be in this space of 
Well, at least it's how one of the reasons or one of the ways it worked for me was I was looking at other people in my life who had been through objectively worse things than I had been through, more traumatic things, more, more daunting challenges than I had been through, not to minimize my own, but just to say like, objectively, that seems like a bigger deal. And they didn't seem to struggle with the day-to-day experience of life like I did. And so the question for me became, well, what do they know that I don't know? Because if somebody's done it, then why can't somebody else do it? Why couldn't I do it? And so luckily my tech brain of being in technology for you know 15 years uh, said, well, let's try and reverse engineer this. And so it's just, that's where I started asking people and they asked like, what are you reading and what have you done and what kind of things have you accomplished or, 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 or challenged yourself with to be able to move through the stuff that you've dealt with? And so for me, it was just like understanding that there must be a way to get there, even if I don't know what it is right now and going on that path to find out what it is. Yeah. And so, and you've been, you've interviewed a lot of like amazing people, like, uh, uh, like talk to talking about some of the, the people that you've interviewed that you've learned from, like you have your own podcast as well. Tell me about that. Yeah. So the podcast is really fun because it's really, it's more of a late night talk show than it is a podcast. Uh, so the, the first season is, is done now, but uh, it's, it's really, really fun. It's called the Jason Goldberg is ruining podcasting podcast. Uh, and it's just about doing things differently. That's why we did more of a late night talk show kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, I had great guests on there, people that are big in the music industry and, and television producers and, you know, celebrity nutritionists and, and, and all these different people. And it's just great to kind of hear their stories. We all have these stories of resilience and we all have these stories. Of, of just having massive challenges to overcome. And, and what I think is, is beautiful about the people that I've brought on is that none of them, luckily enough, this was not planned, but I guess I just got lucky with the people that I, I chose. None of them had this air of like, the, you know, the sage on the stage. N- nobody wants the sage on the stage anymore. It's just not relatable, right? It creates distance. It doesn't create intimacy. And what I loved about these people's stories is that it's it's so relatable and it shows us that no matter if you are, you know, Will Smith's uh, nutritionist, who was one of the pr- people that I had on the show, um, or you are, you know, an accountant who's working a, a you know, 40 hour a week job, we're all experiencing the same stuff. It's, it's different flavors, but it's all the exact same thing. And so one of the things I really just loved about that first season was just the relatability of the people that were on there. And that's, that's the power of story also, right? It's uh, stories allow us to have our experience validated in a way that it may never been validated before. And once my experience is validated, I don't feel so alone. And I feel that it's possible that I can move through it. Yeah. And, and so what are some of that, like the most inspirational stories? Uh, that, that you had on your show? I mean, so Mona, who was the, who's Will Smith's uh, nutritionist, and, and she's one of my dearest friends. I mean, she had uh, massive uh, heart issues. She had to have uh, several heart surgeries. Uh, they, they thought she wasn't going to live at, at a certain point in her, her younger years. And, uh, and she just, you know, she was a party girl and she was, uh, she was rising up the ranks in the company she was working with. She was, you know, crushing it by all accounts, of, you know, all accounts and all intents and purposes, but she was really struggling with her health. And so just to watch how she's fully reinvented herself and she's not out of the water. Like she has, she has to have her heart checked on a regular basis. Cause this is like a, you know, a congenital kind of thing that she had going on there. And, and she's, she's just so dedicated to showing people that you don't have to be, you know, sucked into Western medicine. You don't have to be taking all the pills. You don't have to be doing all these things. There are a lot of natural things you can do that have science behind them. This is not like, you know, rubbing a rose quartz on your heart uh, to, to fix it. Nothing wrong with that for anybody that does that. I live in LA. People do that all the time. Um, but, but like real, real science-based stuff that really makes a big difference. And so I, I just, I love her story. She has an incredible story. Kent Weed, Kent Weed is another dear friend of mine who is the creator of American Ninja Warrior, the TV show. And he's the executive producer of all the Gordon Ramsay uh, television shows. And another guy who just struggled really badly with addiction 
uh, when he was younger and, and just to see uh, the, the changes he's made in his own life and the, the place where he had to, to really, you know, put a line in the sand to say, this is not going to be the way that my life plays out. There's no way I can be the husband and the father that I want to be if I'm constantly drunk. Uh, even if I'm making tons of money in my, in my work, right? So he wasn't willing to sacrifice uh, his family and, and, and those other parts of his life for his career. So anything where people have, any stories where people have courage to do things that the rest of us think, oh, I could never do that. Uh, but we all can do that. It's, it definitely takes courage. It's not easy by any stretch of the imagination, but it's possible for all of us. And what is that kind of a common thread of, of transformation that you've heard you know, throughout the shows and the interviews you've done and people you've talked to? What are a couple of like, common themes? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's so much. This wasn't. Um, these weren't coaching sessions, so I, I didn't. I didn't dive as deep as I would in, in with coaching clients. But one of the things I see just in general uh, for for myself and for, and for my clients is just the the way that we, the way that we relate to our world, creates our world, right? So a lot of people say like your thoughts create your reality, and and I I disagree with that in the way that it's typically said. I think it's typically said of like, oh, you know, if you, if you, you know, have a certain thought in your head, then you can manifest that in, in, in your life and things like that. And that's fine. If people, uh, if that's effective for people, that's great. Where I think it actually does make sense, it's just not spoken about as much, is that there is, there is awareness that you have as a human. Like, as being a human being, the only thing that's been constant your entire life is your awareness. Your body has changed, your thoughts have changed, your location has changed, everything about you has changed except for the fact that you are aware. And so unless you are fully aware, nothing else can exist. Your reality can't exist. So to me, awareness creates a reality uh, only in so much as that reality can't exist unless you're aware of reality. So in a simpler way, what I mean by that is every one of us can look at ourselves as the ocean. Right, we are this vast, boundless thing. You can't see the edge of it unless you're a flat earther, and then maybe you think you can see the edge of it. But but overall, you can't see the edge of it. It's it's this vast thing. Inside of the ocean are waves. Now, nobody would ever say that the waves are the ocean. The waves are contained within the ocean. If the ocean didn't exist, the waves couldn't exist. But nobody would ever say that they are the same thing. They're they're two different things entirely. And the reason that's so important to look at is because the waves represent our thinking, the waves represent our stress and our anxiety and all these things that we want to change, we want to improve, we want to create transformation around. But the waves of an ocean can never damage the ocean, right? There's never been an ocean that has been hurt by the most violent, crazy 100 foot wave. It, it goes like super high in the sky and then it comes crashing down in the ocean and the ocean's fine. The ocean is totally fine because it is independent of the waves. And so the reason this is so important is that what happens is when we feel a lot of stress and anxiety, it's because we are confusing who we are with these thoughts that are popping up in our head or with these experiences that are happening out there. So I want to always remember that if I can watch the waves without any judgment, without any condemnation, when I can remember that the, the wave, no matter how big and no matter how scary it is, is going to crash back into the ocean from which it came and it will disappear. Like if I track and I watch a wave and it goes really, really high and then crashes into the water and I go, guys, I'll be back. I'm going to go get that wave in a bucket. And I swim out to it and I have a bucket. And I'm like, damn it, where's the wave? This is just water. Like, wh where did it go? And, and, and that, again, is, is really how it works with what's going on between our ears. And so the more we can really recognize that we are not the waves, we're the ocean, uh, which is the space the waves are contained, then we start getting this separation where we don't confuse who we are with the things that are in our head, the thoughts that are in our head. Yeah, because I, I, so many people deal with like self-hatred and self-doubt and 
uh, powerlessness and other really negative feelings that came from from childhood, from childhood trauma and, and other forms of trauma, things that happened to them along the way. Uh, how do people, how, how do you suggest that people deal with that? Well, it depends, right? If you've had really massive things, capital T trauma that's happened, then then get professional help, right? This is this get as, as whatever kind of support you can get. That's why I think therapy is amazing, right? And, and I've, I've had therapy for years and I think it's great. And there's, once the, once the perceived danger of this past trauma is no longer running your life, then there's there's something else that can be done just internally for ourselves. And, and what that is, it goes back to that same kind of metaphor about being able to see the difference between who we are and what we think, is that when I say I'm depressed, I, I, I hate myself, uh, I, uh, I'm overwhelmed, I'm frustrated, I'm sad, like all these things, who, who is it that's sad? Who is it that's overwhelmed? And I go, well, me. I go, well, well who am I? Like when you say me, when I say I, what, what, is, what am I associating with that? Well, I'm associating my thoughts, my body, my, all these things, but we've just established those things always change. So I can't possibly be my thoughts. I can't possibly be my body, my sensations, my perceptions, my judgments, my, my history, my memories. I can't possibly be those things because they're all changing. So if, if I am not the one who is actually sad, then who is? Well, it's this finite self that I've projected out here. And th- that projected finite self is at risk. That, that thing has all kinds of risks. I over here as awareness have no risk. I am fine. My psychological security and safety is not at risk. Nothing is at risk because I'm just awareness. I'm just here witnessing all the things that are going on. And so a big part of my work is, is an identity shifting to deal with that exact thing. So, so here's, here's the way I typically talk about it that may make it a little easier to understand. So imagine that you are uh, the director of Batman, the movie Batman. And I, I'm a purist. I don't get this whole Robert Pattinson thing and Ben Affleck as Batman. I, I can't. I can't do those. I'm a Michael Keaton. I'm like a, a purist, right? So, so I, I just. I'm sorry. You can't go from Twilight to Batman, but whatever. It's fine. It, good for him. So, so, so imagine you are directing Batman with Michael Keaton, the real Batman, and you're on set, and you film the scene, and the scene goes great, and you yell cut, and then you're talking to your team, your crew, and getting ready for the next shot, the next scene. And you look over onto the set and you see Batman pacing back and forth on the set. Okay, well, you're the director. You're, you're worried about your star. You walk over. You say, hey, man, what's going on? And he goes, I don't, I don't know, Wendy. Like, what if, what if I'm not strong enough to beat the Joker? <laughs> like, what, what if my technology is not good enough? What if the people of Gotham die on my watch? Like, how am I supposed to deal with that? And you're looking at him like, what, what are you talking about? Like, it's a movie. What, what are you talking? But you want to be, you want to be compassionate. You want to help your star. And so you have two options at this point, given what was just reflected to you by your star. Number one, you can say, okay, Batman, let's, uh, let's go figure out how to beat the Joker. Let's go make sure your tech is strong enough. Let's make sure the people of Gotham are safe. Or you can remind him that he's Michael Keaton. And once he really realizes that before he stepped on set, before he was in makeup, before he put on the, the, the outfit, the suit, before he drove to the lot, there was a different version of him that existed that has nothing to do with Batman. Now, it doesn't mean that we ignore the issues that Batman has, but when I realize, oh, I'm not Batman, I'm currently playing the role of Batman, there is an identity called Batman that I have now assumed as my own, but it's not who I am. When I'm in that place where I don't have an attachment to that role or that identity, then I can look over at Batman and say, okay, let's try to figure out your issues. 
and I'm in a much more calm and peaceful place. So it's the same thing if you have a kid where you know the the doll pops off the head of the, uh, the the head of the doll pops off, and the kid's freaking out and just like screaming and crying. You're able to see from a distance, like oh, that's not that big of a deal. You just pop the head back on the doll, and everything's fine again. But they don't know that because they're too in it. They've confused what's going on here, right? So, so this is the opportunity for us is to really recognize, and I do this, I call it out. If I'm having a really stressful experience, I will literally say, today I am playing the role of Jason, the stressed out entrepreneur who thinks this project is not moving fast enough. First and foremost, I wanna really call out who is the one that has the problem. It's not me, but there is a role or an identity I'm playing that has these issues right now. And I say, cool, in this moment, just, just right here, right now, just in this moment, how does life feel? How does life occur to me without the attachment to and the significance that I'm putting on that identity. If I'm sitting here in this moment and that identity is just completely not a part of who I am at all, it's, it's out there, how does life feel? And when I sit there with that for just a minute, I feel more peaceful. Almost always, it's an immediate thing. It doesn't make, I feel like blissful and joyful and I wanna go like, you know, travel the world and have a bunch of fun, but my life feels at least a little more peaceful. And then I ask myself, which version of me is actually best suited to help Jason, the frustrated, overwhelmed entrepreneur with whatever problems he has. Is it the one that's confused myself and said that I am that identity and then I'm working from the same projection of reality that that identity is, is working from? Or is it the peaceful version of me that can see the separation, right? So this is not like woo-woo spirituality stuff. This is about like, how can I be a more effective in, in my experience of life. And to me, that's just more effective. Because everything is about mindset, about perception. And, and you can so quickly change your mindset. I mean, but it's a practice uh, like anything else. Do you, do you have any other tips on kind of changing your mindset to be like more positive and to just be more, more joyous, wake up with more joy and excitement about your life? Yeah, it's, it's really, it's more of an unlearning than it is a learning. It's, it's, it's less about what we need to do and, and more about what we need to lay down. Uh, there's a question I ask my clients all the time, what needs to be picked up or laid down in order for you to have a more joyful experience of life? And almost always, the, it's a variation of the same answer. If I laid down the need to control everything about my life, I would be much more peaceful. I'd be much more joyful. So, so noticing that the role of trust is huge. And I'm not somebody at all who ever was into trust or surrender that always felt passive for me. It felt like uh, it's an excuse. I'm sure, you know, th there's a bunch of people who are experiencing homelessness that just trusted and surrendered and, and look what happened to them. And I always struggled with this, this idea. And then it, it really occurred to me, there's a lot of different pieces in this, but, but one of the big things that occurred to me there was that I was approaching trust as in, I trust that the universe will give me exactly what I want. And the universe will conform to my preferences, which is one of the most arrogant ways I could ever approach life. That I know what's best, that it should happen the way that I think it should happen. There's just no humility in that. And so bringing more humility into life, how could I possibly know what's best for me? How could I possibly know how long this should take? This is not being passive and giving up on life. I'm still fully engaged with life. But I have to understand there's a difference between my input and my intentions and what's actually going to happen. And I don't have control over what's going to happen. And so if I'm on the whitewater rafting you know, of life, I can put my paddle in the water and kind of help to steer a little bit. But if I fight too much against the rapids, I'm getting thrown off the boat, right? I have to just go with the flow and literally go with the flow on that. So that's one of the big things, just noticing when am I, when am I trying to take responsibility for things that are not my responsibility? 
And how can I feel a little more trust, not trust that it will happen to my preference, but just trust that it will work out the way it's meant to work out. And then I'm going to be okay. Yeah. I, I like the, uh, the whitewater rafting analogy and that like resistance that people can have to what's happening in their life or their situation in their life. And when you're like resisting things, like what you resist persists mm-hmm. and it can make you really, really unhappy when you're resisting so much and not like surrendering to the process or enjoying the process, enjoying the ride. hundred percent that the resistance is, is everything. And, and, you know, it's, if you look at it, one of the ways that one of my teachers would talk about it is if you look at the, the actual room that you're in, right? If you're in a room of some sort, of course, you're outdoors because you're in a beautiful location where you should be outdoors constantly. But if you were inside of an actual room with four walls, the room itself has zero resistance to any person or thing that is inside of it. It doesn't think about the couch you brought in. It doesn't think about the five friends that are hanging out and having dinner with you. It doesn't care about any of that. There's no resistance. It's simply the space for all this stuff to exist if it wants to. So notice how that's different than the way sometimes we, including myself, that we will approach not having resistance is a lot of times we think we're being clever and we're not. It's back to arrogance again. Well, if I say that I don't resist it, then that'll make it go away. But that's not actually removing resistance. Removing resistance says, I'm okay with this thought or feeling or emotion being here forever. If it never leaves, I'm totally okay with that. And then people will say, no, but but I'm not totally okay with that. Well, then you're going to continue to suffer. And I, and I speak from experience and it still happens to me. This is not, I haven't mastered any of this, meaning that I do it hundred percent of the time. This is a constant practice for me as well. But I notice that when I resist, uh, sorry, when I try to remove resistance as a strategy, it never works. When I truly can be like that room who doesn't care what comes in and out or who comes in and out. And I'm okay with it being exactly what it is. Miraculously, it stops being so difficult. And then as a part of that as well, with the resistance, what I realized that I was doing a lot was you know, the, the, this whole uh, idea of you got to, you got to, uh, you got to feel it to heal it. Right. And people say that all the time. And I agree. Like, I, I agree. You really, you don't want to bypass. You don't want to distract yourself. You got to feel it to heal it. But what I realized that I was doing because I had been so just overrun with this message of not being in resistance and accepting all the darkness and no matter how heavy it is, just, you know, welcome it in and, 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 and fall in love with it as much as you can. And all these different things is that I realized even that became uh, a breeding ground for more suffering. Because now it's like, well, am I, am I feeling it enough? Is it, you know, did, did, I, did I allow it in enough? Is, am I, do I need to suffer more before I can move forward? And I would notice that when I was doing that, when I was trying to just really not being in resistance, I would have little glimpses of like peace or joy or happiness show up and I'd fight them away. Because like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not ready for you. I'm still feeling and healing the thing that I need to feel and heal. And, and so what I started doing that made a huge difference for me was... Part of what I'll do in, in my practice of, of, of not resisting is I'll look at whatever the thing is, the, you know, the, the thought, the emotion, the situation, and I'll say, you know, I, I, allow, uh, I allow stress. I consent to this anxiety. Uh, I welcome this lack of clarity, like really being in this, this place of like, you know, allowing, consenting, and welcoming these things to come in. And the thing that I added to that, once I realized that I was pushing away the good stuff, I, I, was, I wasn't in resistance to the heavy stuff anymore. Now I'm in resistance to the not so heavy stuff is I started saying to myself in that same practice, I also allow joy. I also consent to peace. I also welcome clarity. Like this is, you can hold paradox where you can say, I'm not going to be in resistance to the heavy stuff. And I'm also not going to be in resistance to the light stuff. 
And just being that open vessel where I'm not trying to control and I'm really just allowing all of those things to coexist without them needing to leave any faster than they leave or, or come any faster than they come. That to me just makes me feel more peaceful. And when I'm more peaceful, I do better shit in the world. Yeah. I, I'm really working on that too, on resistance and, and also in control and things like that. And, and it, it's, it's amazing when you have like awareness around that and you realize how maybe you're in a relationship and you have like fear they're going to leave you, or do you have like jealousy or, or you, you worry it's going to end, or you want to be with them forever or all these like different things that these silly things that you worry about, uh, they, uh, they end up like can end up manifesting themselves because you're creating behaviors around manifesting them, or uh, you just create a lot of like internal resistance and, and stress over these things, that you, things you're trying to control. They're just not in your control. So it's kind of like this whole mind game people play with themselves. Yeah, no, it, it really is. And, and here's, here's the shocking truth that is actually to me uh, more liberating than it is depressing is that everything is going to abandon you. Everything your mind, your body, your family, your friends, your lovers, everything is going to abandon you. But you know what? It hasn't yet. So let's really, really enjoy it. Yeah. And you'll find, Every, a, new, everything. You'll find a new lover. Yes, you will, girl. <laughs> you will find a new lover. Depending on who you are and what your beliefs are, you may find multiple lovers. And I'm good. God bless you if you do. Do you want to be in a thruple? Make it happen. Uh, but, but, I, but I think that that's really important because it's, you know, I always say everything from ice cream cones to broken bones is temporary. Yeah. The thing you love the most is temporary. The thing you hate the most is temporary. So if it's all temporary, it's, it's okay. It's all going to be on a cycle. The, the, the joy is never going to stay for too long, but neither is the pain. Like that's just the way it is. And so the more we, we notice that and the more we kind of just flow with looking at nature, you know, like nature lives and grows and dies and then is reborn. And it's, it just, it does. And that's, that's how it works in our lives as well. We don't physically die and then get reborn. Well, I mean, depending on your beliefs, but on a daily basis, we're not dying and being reborn physically, but there are parts of us that will die. And that's beautiful because that makes space for the new, the new birth to come up. Right. And so it just, it, a lot of this comes down to, and this gets into a kind of a much more, an even deeper spiritual conversation, but this one of the things that I've been practicing a lot over the last year is having more devotion and reverence for life. And, and it's very important when I say life, because what I had done my entire life, and I, and I, still, I still do at times, is I focused on my life, right? My life, my preferences, my needs. And it's not saying not to have preferences and needs. Everybody has preferences and needs and desires and everything else. But when I look at life through the lens of my life, then there are threats, right? There are threats to my ideas about life. There are threats to my concepts about life. There are threats to my preferences about life. And so then I'm constantly in this place where I'm looking for some kind of security from these threats. But if I drop the word my, and I just look at life, there's no threat to life right? If I'm fully just meeting life, there's no threat to life. Life is, is infinite and beautiful. And there is, there, is no, there is no set of preferences laid on top of that that can distance me from life. So the more I'm practicing having real reverence and devotion for life and, and treating life like it's a person, like I like to personify life and pretend it's my best friend. And if you wake up in the morning, every morning, and you pretend that life is your best friend, and it happens to be your best friend's birthday, then just like in real life with your real best friend, you want to show it how much you love it on its birth, on their birthday. You want to show how much you appreciate it. And inevitably, sometimes your best friend on their birthday are going to want to do stuff that you don't want to do. 
And they're like, well, I want to go, you know, on a pub crawl. And you're like, oh God, seriously, what are we 19? Like, what, what are you talking? I don't want to do that. But you're like, you know what? It's your birthday life. So if that's what you want, that's cool. And sometimes life will want to do exactly what you want to do on their birthday. And then you're like, score, we're going to go do a movie marathon and like sneak into seven different movies all day. This sounds amazing. So, so if I treat life like it is my best friend, then when it wants to do something I don't want to do, I'm like, cool, I love you, so I'm going to do it. And when it wants to do something I do want to do, I do, cool, that's amazing. Let's do the thing that we both want to do. And it just takes me out of this like victim mode where I'm, I'm always kind of upset that life's not going directly according to my preferences. Yeah, I think that's a big problem. People, they, they love to wallow in victim mode. Uh, yeah. I think that's like, a, like a, a big hang up for so many people like why me and how come other people are doing so well and I haven't gotten my break yet. Can you talk about that victim mentality a little bit more because I think that's where a lot of people get stuck. Yeah, I mean, that. so that's what my whole book Prison Break is about. It's about getting out of this, what I call the prisoner mentality, which is basically like the victim mentality and moving into a place where you're a self-leader instead. And, you know, prisoner mentality, the prisoner, the prisoner approach, the prisoner perspective, because it's not a, it's not a personality. It's not a, a gene. It's not a part of your DNA where you're like a prisoner or a self-leader. You're not a victim or an owner. Like it's not, it's not a, it's not a, like a vestigial tale or something that you have because of your, your DNA. Uh, it's, it's a moment by moment choice. And if you are raised in a household like I was, and I love my mom to death, and she's always been a hustler and done whatever she could to support our family as a single mother, it was always just the two of us, but she was raised in an environment where there was a lot of victim mentality. And so in the same way, if you are raised in a household that only speaks Spanish, you're not stupid for not being able to speak French. You just were never exposed to it, right? It's just not, it's just not natural for you. But just like somebody who spoke Spanish their entire life and doesn't know French, you know that you can go learn French and it's going to be awkward and foreign. And you're going to mean to say you love the pasta, but you end up saying your mother's a cat. And it's, 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 it's really like weird. And you're like, and you, people are offended and you're like, wait, what did I do? I should just go back to speaking Spanish because at least I was fluent in that. But the more we stick with that new language, the more we stick with that new perspective, what we notice over time is that in any given situation, we say, huh, this person just talked to me and I'm realizing in my head without thinking much that I could respond to them in Spanish or I could respond to them in French. All of a sudden I have equal access to both languages. And that's where the, this journey of self-leadership comes in is by practicing very, very small pieces of noticing when you're in the victim mindset, uh, noticing what you may be trying to get, what needs you may be trying to get by being in the victim mindset. For me, I, I lived in the victim mindset. I lived in the prisoner mindset because it got me love. It got me attention. Right. Mom, mom would come over and say, oh, honey, what's going on? What's wrong? What can I do to help? Do you, do you want this? Do you want that? It was a great way for me to get love because I didn't know a healthier way to do it. But when I'm almost 30 years old and I'm still doing that as the way to get love, it feels like something's off. I, I, maybe there's something I should be looking at here. And so just that first thing of just noticing, ah, oh, I'm doing that thing again, where I think that the only way I can get love in this moment is to be a prisoner, is to be a victim. That alone is such a huge first step. Even if you still decide in that moment, yes, I'm realizing I'm being a prisoner right now and I'm just gonna kind of go with that. Fine, that's still an improvement because at least now you know that you're choosing to come from this perspective instead of it being something that's being bestowed upon you by some all-knowing, terrible, vindictive God, right? So, so that's, that's the first part is just that awareness and then noticing moment by moment that you have a choice on how you, you react to this, how you respond to this. A big part of that is the identity stuff we talked about earlier, but it just gives you more choice. Yeah. What do you think about the law of attraction and, and like using that as a way to try to get what you want in your life? I mean, I think there's some flaws in it because 
you know, if you're operating at a certain frequency, like if you have emotional trauma and, and things like that, that can kind of hold, hold you back a little bit with attracting the things in your life that uh, you have the potential to attract. I think a lot of times trauma can kind of hold people back if they don't work on uh, releasing that. Uh, what are your, just, that's my perspective on it. What's your take on it? Yeah, I, no, I agree. I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of the, I think, uh, so I, I haven't done a lot of study in the law of attraction, but what I've seen is that from people I've talked to who are really into the law of attraction, they say that most people who talk about it oversimplify what it actually means. Right. And, and, and so I, I don't know that that's actually true because I haven't, I haven't dove into it, but, but I get it when they say that. What I will say though, is back to what I was talking about with uh, kind of the, the, the belief that it's possible for you is that if you don't have a belief that you deserve a certain kind of life or that it's possible for you to deserve a certain thing, then I think, of course, the only opportunities you're going to see are the ones that align with the projection of what you believe about yourself, right? So in the same way, you know, if you ever watched, uh, do you remember the original uh, Willy Wonka uh, movie? Not the one with Johnny Depp, but the, like the original one. So, so one of my favorite things in that movie is at the very end, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen the movie in the 50 years since it came out, but, but at the end of the movie, Willy Wonka gives the entire factory to Charlie, right? So it's Charlie and, and grandpa, and they're, they're in the, the Wonkavator, the elevator, the Wonkavator with Willy Wonka, three of them in there. And the Wonkavator, like it's this glass elevator and it goes up through the ceiling and smashes through the ceiling of the chocolate factory. And it's like hovering over the city. And while they're doing that, they're hovering over the town there. Uh, Grandpa Joe and Charlie look down and they point and they go, oh, look, there, there's our house and there's my school. Oh my God, it's so beautiful. But if you go back to the beginning of the movie, we saw the inside of the house. They lived in squalor. There was four elderly people sharing a bed together. Like they, they lived in poverty. So how is it that in one scene, it's terrible and it's poverty written. And in another scene, it's beautiful and it's gorgeous. Well, it's because the consciousness difference, the perspective is different. So if I'm laying face down on the cement with my nose touching the sidewalk and, and you were to ask me, Jason, what do you see? I would say cement. I, I mean, what there's, I think there's, there's an ant I can see out of the corner of my, that that's all I see. You take me and put me on top of a 30 story building and say, what do you see now? And I'm like, oh my God, I see tons of stuff. I see houses and buildings and clouds and planes. And I see all these things. So what I will say is that I believe in the law of attraction in so much as the level of consciousness you're currently at dictates the possibilities that you see. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of people feel like the law, like they're trying to employ the law of attraction. Like, why am I not getting what I want? You know, I'm trying to think myself positive. Why is this not working for me? And maybe that's one of the, the reasons why you, I, I mean, for me, I believe you have to shed emotional trauma and that frequency of that raise your frequency to then attract higher things, uh, you know, higher frequency things or people or jobs or things you're trying to attract into your life. So let's talk about some of, some of your other uh, other projects that you're working on. So anything else that you have going on? Well, I have one thing that I can't share yet, but but I, I'll be talking about it soon enough. It's it's going to be a really very, very cool project. It's actually not in the coaching space. It's in the personal growth space, but not in the coaching space. Uh, and it's going to be a product-based thing. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And it's, it's so cool to be in a place. This is the first time I've been in coaching now for the better part of 10 years. Uh, and it's, this is the first time in quite a long time that I'm completely out of my element. No idea, whole new industry, no nothing at all. And it's been really, it's been really fun uh, to, to navigate not knowing what I don't know, right? Because I've been able to use my tools that I teach others on myself 
in a brand new, I mean, I've had to use them every day on myself because I am prone, if, if left to my own devices, you know, I grew up with depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation. I was 330 pounds in my thirties. Uh, you know, this was my life, you know, up to around 30 years of age was, was pretty trying, pretty challenging. And, and so I've always had to use these tools and I'm not somebody who's just like always has been happy and joyful and playful and light. And now I'm just coming out of here saying, you can be the same way. It's super easy. I'm like, no, it's not. It takes freaking work. But what I've noticed is that being able to use the tools that I teach and that I use on myself in the typical ways I typically do it, using them differently now because I'm approaching this brand new thing, it's been so awesome. And, and it's so great to notice, for example, Anytime I create something new, or to me, anytime anybody creates something new, I believe there's two, two phases they go through. And it's not like one than the other. You, you go back and forth, but there's two different phases you can be a part of or, or, or engage with. There's the wow and there's the how, right? So the wow is like when it's passion, you're excited, like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. It's the greatest thing in the world. And then your mind shifts over to the how, and the how is when the self-doubt starts creeping in. Right. And all of a sudden, like, well, but that's, I don't know how to do that. And oh, somebody else has already so done that. It's going to take so long. And I don't know, I don't have enough contacts and somebody else already did that. So now there's no, like, why should I do it? And, and all of this stuff where the ego tries to stop you. And I, and I had the exact same thing with me on this project. The ego was trying to stop me constantly, trying to talk me out of what I was doing. And so what I had to do there, and it's one of my favorite tools that, that I share, especially with, with coaches or anybody who, you know, they want to put themselves out there, but they're afraid. They're afraid of being judged. They're afraid of being ridiculed. They're afraid of somebody counteracting what they say and telling them they're wrong or, or whatever, or what family will think or, or whatever else. And anytime I think about that, I go back to this. There was a woman I was dating at one point who was a uh, major, uh, she loved animals. She was big into like animal protection, animal rights. And so anytime the circus would come into town uh, in Orlando, where, where I used to live, uh, she would be out in front of the, the circus, like picketing and handing out flyers and saying, they're mistreating the elephants. We got to save the elephants. And she's doing all this stuff. And people are yelling and screaming at her, like, get a damn job. I'm just trying to take my kid to the circus. And, and she was unfazed by it. Like she would come home and I'd be like, how was it? She's like, oh, I had like 40 people scream at me. Somebody threw like a hot dog at me and it was totally cool. And I'm like, how, how is that cool to you? Like, how are you not like crying in a corner in the fetal position right now? And what, what had occurred to me was that she had taken on the role of an activist, right? And real activists don't have time to worry about what people think about the thing that they're an activist about because they have to make a dent in the thing they're being an activist about. And so if I look at any project I'm working on, and for anybody listening to this, any project you're working on, find a way to shift yourself from coach or entrepreneur or business owner or whatever to activist, right? Figure out what is it that you're actually being an activist for by starting this business, creating this project, putting this thing out in the world. And the more you shift into that, what's actually happening is you're shifting out of ego and back into service. And when you're really focused on serving, you don't have the self-doubt. You don't have the self-talk that tells you you shouldn't do it or it's taking too long or it's going to take too long or somebody else has already done it. That would be like somebody saying, you know, I, I was going to do a campaign to raise awareness for breast cancer, but like, look, that person's already doing it. They don't need another person bringing awareness for breast cancer. What? No, we need as many people as possible doing that. So when we really look at it through the lens of activist, for me at least, it makes it much easier to get into consistent action. Yeah. I think it's, it's easy to get into that feeling like you have imposter syndrome. Like when I first started my podcast and I first started, you know, doing health coaching and things like that, I just felt like, oh, well, who's really going to want to listen to me. And, and there's so many other people talking about health or, or weight loss or whatever it is I was, and I first started, it was 
more about like nutrition I was talking about and why, but you know, in the end, people want to hear from you. Like you're going to find your tribe and people that like your energy and the people that want to hear what you're saying and how you say it. So like you, you will find your tribe in your audience. And for me, 10 years later, I never, I never really, uh, I mean, I envisioned it, of course, that I would have success, but it's become much bigger than I had uh, anticipated, but I definitely didn't feel that way in the beginning. I felt like a fraud. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's one of these things where the, the number one way to deal with imposter syndrome that I found is to not be an imposter then there's nothing to worry about. So it's one thing if you start your podcast and say, hey, I'm Wendy, I have 100 million podcast downloads. I have never had a health problem in my life. And all of you idiots are gonna learn something by listening to my show. You're being an imposter. You're absolutely <laughs> lying, right? But if you just come on and share your experience of life, right? Like when I go on stage and, I, and I'm doing a keynote and I talk about being 330 pounds and, being, and having suicidal ideation and everything else, somebody in the audience could stand up and say, well, I'm 500 pounds and I've never been happier. And then part of me can go like, oh my God, I, then I'm wrong. Like they're, they're calling me out. They're, I, I'm so, I'm, I'm an idiot. Everybody's going to think I'm an idiot. My response would be, I'm so happy that at 500 pounds, you're happy. My experience of life was that at 330 pounds, I had suicidal ideation and I was highly depressed. Nobody can argue with my experience of life. When I start coming out and saying, capital T truth, this is how life works. And if you don't do it this way, then your life is screwed. Then to me, I'm being an imposter. I'm also being an asshole, but, but I'm, I'm being an imposter in that moment, right? Just share your experience of life, what your beliefs are, what, what's, what's worked for you uh, and where you're really at. And then there's no, there's no imposter syndrome to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. And so anything else in uh, your prison break book that you want to talk about, like maybe how to be a self leader, how to, how to lead yourself. Cause I think that's something I'm really interested in as well is how to lead, how to lead other people. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't truly actually really believe in, in other leadership. I only believe there's self-leadership because uh, really leading other people is them. If you truly want to lead other people, not just manage people and not just uh, influence people, but you actually want to quote lead people. Uh, my experience of this, both from, you know, being in leadership positions in corporate and then of course being an entrepreneur and having my own team and, and things like that in my businesses is that when I'm practicing self-leadership myself, it sets an example and a model for them. And they go, that's interesting. When that thing happened and most people that I've worked for before would flip out and lose their crap, he didn't lose his crap. He was, he was, he was challenged by it. He, he didn't like what was happening in the situation, but the way he responded to it just feels different. And people think to themselves and go, I want to, that, that's how I want to react to things. I don't want to react by screaming and yelling and doing all these things. And so you set that example where people then want to follow the way you're doing it and they just become self-leaders. So you lead them by leading yourself, right? That, that's, kind of, that's kind of what I'm getting at. And so self-leadership as a whole, it's, it's such a vast topic, which is why I wrote the, the whole book on it, but, but really it's about understanding the way life actually works and understanding that there are three levels that we can experience the world around us. The first level is kind of the prisoner level where it's the circumstance dictates how I feel. If I'm happy, it's because good things are happening. If I'm sad, it's because bad things are happening. Whatever, it's all, it's all based on external stuff. The second level, the kind of second layer to this is to live life uh, through the lens of content. And so viewing life through the lens of content says this, this bad thing, bad thing happened. Uh, I'm going to reframe that. I'm going to find a positive way to look at this. I'm going to find the silver lining. I'm going to find how it's a gift. 
great. This is super, super helpful. And it's a big part, uh, uh, I shouldn't say a big part, it is a part of, of what's laid out in Prison Break. But there's a third layer to this, a third level to this, where you can live from the lens of context, right? So instead of it being a, a, what you're thinking, it's just that you're thinking, okay? So instead of me trying to manipulate the content at layer two, I go above that and I go, oh, well, the reason that I'm suffering is because I'm taking seriously what the content is saying, regardless of what the content is. So if I'm, you know, this, there's this old pedantic uh, uh, parable of somebody walking through the desert and they see a coiled up snake and they freak out and they go, oh my God, I'm going to get bit by the snake and I'm going to rot here. My corpse is just going to rot and nobody's going to find me and my family's going to no never know what happened to me. And they're just freaking out about all this stuff. And then they look a little closer and they see that it's a coiled up piece of rope. And when they see that it's a coiled up piece of rope, there's nothing they need to do. They don't go back to their therapist and say, I need to do some work around my relationship with rope. Like that, that's just not a part of the conversation. So, so if, we, if, if that person tried to just sit there and reframe everything about the snake, it may have worked possibly, but isn't it a lot easier to recognize that it's actually not a snake and it's just a rope and then you're done? So that's the practice of being a self-leader is, is definitely work at the level of content. If that's helpful for you, 100%, I still do that too. But the real emotional freedom for me, at least the real clarity for me is when I can zoom above that and say, oh, I'm taking this thing seriously. I'm, I'm attaching to whatever these thoughts are saying. And I'm having what I call a Britney Spears moment. A thought popped in my head. I took it seriously. And I go, oops, I did it again. And I remind myself, that's all. You're just doing the thing again where you took the thought seriously. And just like that, it starts to dissipate. Yeah. And uh, so many people make that mistake. They get depressed about being depressed. Right. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, yeah. yeah, I just had that. I was just on this constant, like revolving door of being depressed, like in my twenties and like these ruminating thoughts and just like focusing on them and get depressed about being depressed. And it's just, it, it seems like it's this, it like this cycle of inertia that it's really hard to kind of get out of when you're in it. Yeah. Like any thoughts on how to like step out of that, that depression? Yeah. You know, here's the thing. I, I think there'd be a depression would de, de, sorry, people suffering from depression, not depression, but people suffering from depression or, or anything else that you would put in that category, anxiety, sadness, overwhelm, whatever it is. I think so many people would suffer so far less if they knew for a fact that there was a finite amount of time that that feeling was going to be there. But when we're in it, it feels like it's never going to go away, right? This is it. I'm going to be depressed for life. Because I have this question that I ask myself, I have these things I actually didn't make it in the book because it was a tool I came up with after the book had already come out and I just never went back to work it in. But I have these things called PBQs, prison break questions. And a prison break question essentially is a question that takes something that seems like a problem and doesn't solve the problem. It just makes the problem no longer problematic, kind of like that level three context level stuff. And there's as many prison break questions as there are situations, you, you make them up. And the, the, the format for a prison break question is essentially, if I knew what would I do, right? If I knew, what would I do? So when it comes to this one in particular, I remember there was this day, it was like 20, 2014, 2015, I was feeling just immense layers of, of depression and sadness, which then was bringing up anxiety for me because I felt like the depression was never gonna go away. And I had done all this work and now the work's not working and I'm trying the tools and I'm still depressed. And now, I'm, now I am a fraud because I can't even handle my own crap. And like, I'm just spiraling out of control, spiraling, which is one of my tendencies to do. So I completely spiraled out of control. None of my tools were working. And then finally I thought, okay, I got one, one last effort. I'm going to try a PBQ. 
So I asked myself, what would the PBQ look like here? And the one that came up for me was, if I knew that this feeling of depression was going to last for exactly 10 minutes, how would I treat myself for the next 10 minutes? Like if I knew that at 10 minutes and one second, it was just gonna disappear on its own without me doing anything. And so when I asked myself that question, I kind of sat with it uh, meditatively almost. And I said, well, I guess I'd be a lot easier on myself. Um, I wouldn't try to fight it away anymore because it's gonna be gone in 10 minutes anyways. I can, I can hold out for 10 minutes. Um, yeah, I would just be way more gentle and compassionate with myself while, while these 10 minutes are going by. And it isn't that in 10 minutes, it actually went away, but immediately it started going down, right? And so that's the thing to keep in mind here is that every storm runs out of rain eventually. And if we just remember that we've always, we, we existed before we were sad, we'll exist after we're sad. I existed before I put in this shirt, I'll exist after I take this shirt off. Like it, when I don't assign who I am to the feelings that I'm feeling as a permanent and pervasive thing, and I notice that it's temporary and it's isolated and it will pass, that makes it so much easier to navigate it when it's in the present moment. Yeah. You know, some of the tools that I use for depression is I had to order a triple pepperoni pizza and watch Law & Order reruns. <laughs> Wait, okay, hold on, hold on, but this is an important that question. My, that was my Wh recipe. <laughs> which Law & Order? Because there's 19 Law & Orders. Which, one, which one's your go-to? Well, back then there was like three or four. Okay. <laughs> so this is like 10 plus years ago. At least That's a good maybe, one. Maybe I would still longer. do that. <laughs> I, think it's, I think once in a while, that's still a great thing to do. And I, a, I still would do that. Triple pepperoni, it, uh, you know, it made me feel good for sure. I didn't know that was not, even a thing. Not even, no, it's a thing. Double pepperoni is just not enough. So triple pepperoni just did it for me. <laughs> I just, like, there was, I, I guarantee there was a, a group of marketers in a room who were like, guys, double pepperoni, not enough. Triple pepperoni. And they're all like, <laughs> Sally, you're a genius. <laughs> triple pepperoni gets respect. People seem to, they really like the triple pepperoni. It's a lot of meat. <laughs> It's actually not meat. <laughs> it's just oh, it's not, it's, a lot of flavoring. It's, yeah, of it's processed flavor discs. Yeah, yeah. flavored rubber. <laughs> well, Jason, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. That was yeah. so much fun. It's, it's so inspirational, as I, of course, I knew it would, would be. That's why I wanted to have you come on. Uh, so thanks for, thanks for joining us. And tell us where we can find out more about you, about your work, your book, your coaching, et cetera. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm so happy we got to do this after, I think it's been like at least seven years since I've seen you. So thank you so much for, for the invite in. And uh, yeah, best place to follow me is on Instagram. That's typically where I hang out. So I'm at the Jason Goldberg. Jason Goldberg was taken. So I had to get the most pretentious name possible. So I am the, the or the Jason Goldberg. Uh, and uh, you can get a free copy of my book at my website, thejasongoldberg.com. But uh, all that stuff is also linked in my bio and Instagram. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jason, thanks for coming on. And everyone, thank you so much for joining on the Myers Detox podcast, where every week I try to bring you a guest to come on to help you up level your life because you deserve to feel good. So thanks for tuning in and I'll see you on the podcast next week. The Myers Detox podcast is created and hosted by Wendy Myers. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. 
This podcast, including Wendy Myers and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.